you have a Bible or an app that can get you on the Bible, join us in John chapter 10, which is where we're going to be, Gospel of John chapter 10. Uh, we're in a series of messages that we've called The Magnificent Seven. And what we're doing is we're taking some time looking through the, the book of John at the seven different times that Jesus tells us who he is. This isn't you know, someone else's opinion about Jesus. These words are all in red in the New Testament, so they're from the mouth of Jesus. This is Jesus in his own words. We've already discovered that he is the bread of life, that he is the light of the world. And this week, we are going to hear him say, I am the door. I am the door. The title of my message is Open Sesame. Could you say that out loud with me? Every location, open sesame. That's nice. That was with feeling and gusto and passion. Not like the earlier worship experience, because they sucked at that. They just sat there like dead fish. It was, it was much better. I give you an Olympic 10 on the scoring card. John 10, starting in verse 9, Jesus, oh, you got to promise me you'll come back next week. you got, you got to promise me. And here's why. Because uh, the fourth and the third I am statement are meant to be understood together. They help each other out. You understand them as one. They really, you could do them as, as one, uh, but we've chosen to not make it the Magnificent Six, but to make it the Magnificent Seven. And so we're going to talk a lot about the aspects of the two together next week. This week, we're going to treat this one a la carte. We're going to look at it by itself. And, uh, and then next week, we'll be able to look backwards, and a lot of the connections will come together. So if you don't, if you don't get week four, week three, you will be at a loss. It's, I mean, this is going to be really awesome. Let me promise that. But, uh, but it, it'll just come back next week. All right. <laughs> Bring a friend. All right, verse 9. I am the door. It would be helpful if I could like, have, as an illustration, like a door with me on the stage. <laughs> then you would be able to, oh, that's, that's nice. <laughs> if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God, I just ask that what we've just read, as, as short as these two little verses are, that through them we would see something we haven't seen before. Thank you for what you give us in your disclosing yourself, telling us who you are that helps us figure out who we are. We pray that as we just consider these, these two verses for a moment, the statement that came out of your mouth, we pray it would just change something about us. And we ask especially that if anyone has come in this week and they don't know you as Savior, they're watching this, this message on the internet, they saw it on Facebook, or a tweet went by and they grabbed it, and here they are. I just pray they would know you're with them in this moment. You're as, you're as near to them as their, as their clothes are. You're, you're as near to them as their skin is and you love them. I pray they would feel that, sense that. We pray that people would, would, would pass from death to life, experiencing eternal life through Jesus, who tells us here he's a passageway. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Open Sesame. That's from a movie, uh, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. Probably haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. But it's, uh, it's, a, it's part of our culture to say that. You, you, you probably have at some point in your life said or heard someone say, Open Sesame, 
within the context of something opening up, or a magic phrase, or a, or a password. Uh, there were 40 thieves, that's a lot of thieves, and they had hidden all their treasure in a cave, and the cave had a giant stone in front of it, and it was a magic cave. This is a true story. <laughs> and only when the right phrase was said would the, the door open, and within the movie, someone gets trapped in the cave, and you had to use the command to get in and out. And because he forgot the password, he got in with it, but forgot it couldn't get out with it, uh, he ended up being caught by the thieves and killed. And, um, and, and anyhow, it, I, don't want to, I, I read that on the IMDb for the movie. But, uh, but, but, but don't, this leaves all of that except for something being spoken that causes something to be opened. Something being spoken that causes something to be opened. Why am I belaboring this? Here's why. Because here in John 10, Jesus tells us that he is the door. And my whole message is summarized in one condensed sentence is this. Jesus is God's open sesame to everlasting life and abundance. That's the whole thing. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's, he's, he's God's open sesame. He's, he's something being spoken that causes something to be opened. He's God's open sesame to everlasting life and abundance. And if you're remotely interested in abundance or everlasting life, you should be like not a little bit, but a lot fired up. I mean, this is more exciting than curling. This is more exciting than, this is more exciting. I mean, this is, this is, this is, there's nothing bigger. You want to know how to get everlasting life? You want to know how to get abundance? There's so many people looking for purpose, so many people looking in so many places for hope, hoping to extend their lives, hoping for some miracle, hoping for some prince to come, hoping for something to happen to shift out of the mundane, out of the normal, out of the dread, out of the despair that so many people feel. And, and, and we're hoping. And God says, you want your open sesame? You want that, open, that opening to move? Here's my son, Jesus. He is, he is the, the command. He is the formula. He's something being spoken that can cause something being opened. There is a treasure in knowing God that is worth far more than gold or silver or rubies or diamonds. And he uses, Jesus does, uh, such an understandable analogy. I'm a door. This door, in my preaching career, is probably the most unnecessary prop I've ever employed. I thought about it when I, I sent the text message that said, I'd like a door on stage with me. I thought, that's completely necessary. Because not, not one of you, when I said a moment ago, Jesus is the door, went in your head and went, I don't know what that looks like. I wish there was one on stage I could see. If I could just see a door, I might understand what you're talking about here, Jesus. But I, I don't know what that's like. I wouldn't know what it's like to walk up to a door and to open it up and to pass through to. No, no, I, no I do not. Could you draw one for me? Maybe then. Because doors are such an enormous part of our lives. We're constantly walking through doors, into rooms, into homes, into offices, into cupboards, into lockers at school. Doors are an enormous part of our lives. And, and there are so many strange rituals involving the doors, right? There's the awkward, can I get the door open to get out of the bathroom thing we do, right? That's, that's if they don't have paper towels for you because we're also eco-conscious and we don't want to cut the trees down, so now we have to stick our hands in the blow dryers. 
but people still want the paper towels. I'm just on a quest to tell the world, right? Like, as we're designing new bathrooms for it, like, we can put those things in, but you still got to put paper towels. People are, nature's going to find a way. People are going to find a way. They will take, they will take toilet paper, toilet seat covers. They will take tissue. They, I know you. I see you. They will, I've seen people use their feet to get doors open. They're going to find a way to get through a door, right? We do the funny thing. Why? Because we don't want to touch the germs. Now, pro tip, if you are ever in a bathroom that does not have any paper towel, definitely don't touch that knob because the bottom of people's feet have been touching it. It's filthy. I, I, this is the stuff I think about, you guys. You just, life is just one big germ trying to get me. And I, I, I fly on airplanes a lot. And, and I was horrified. I never should have read it because ignorance would be bliss. But I, I read an article about the dirtiest parts of airplanes. And you want to know what the dirtiest surface on an airplane is? Do you want to know? You can't unhear this, so plug your ears if you don't want to know. You can just stay red pill, blue pill, never know. Just be there in the womb and make battery power for the matrix. Okay, listen, it's the tray table. It's the filthiest surface on an airplane by far. Dirtier than any part of the bathroom. The tray table. Think about that next time you're taking your nice nap. I've seen you sleeping with your face on the tray. I've seen people touching it. Uh, I, I, it's, I'm horrified by it, right? I, 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 the thing is, my, my struggle on an airplane is I put my Germex away. And then I'm, I buckle up. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the second dirtiest thing. So then I got to get my Germex back out. But then I recline my seat. Not a lot, just a little bit. And then I got a Germex again, just my fingertip, right? And then I'm just horrified by the germs. The bathrooms were weird. We were always conscious of how, how dirty they are. But the bathrooms get cleaned every flight. They have to turn these planes around in 15 minutes. The planes, as someone told me, they only get cleaned, uh, the tray tables, every 30 to 90 days. American Airlines is 90 days, guys, okay? I'm just, if anyone out there, you got shame on you, right? Clean those dang tables, somebody, right? But, but, but we're conscious of germs, and we're conscious of germs when we're leaving rooms and we're going through doorways. We think about these sorts of things. And uh, there's other things we do that are funny involving doors. Uh, there's the awkward run we do when someone graciously offers to open a door for us but you're too far away for it to actually be their responsibility to take care of the situation. And, and you notice that they're looking, and they're almost like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for you. What are you going to do about it? And so we kind of like do that. We gallop like to get there. And like, it's like, OK, you're far away. You could have gone through. It wouldn't have been rude. I'd have been. Sometimes we jump over lasers to get through doors. I'm talking about getting out of the garage, of course, now. right? There's that little maneuver you were excited to learn about as a kid. Okay, it was like an Olympic challenge, right? Mission Impossible. I'm basically Tom Cruise now, getting over the laser. The largest door on planet Earth is in Florida, uh, the Kennedy Space Center. That door there where the space shuttle used to come in and out of, 456 feet tall. Took a full 45 minutes. Takes a full 45 minutes for it to go up, 45 minutes to go down. The astronauts never had to worry about getting over that laser. They push it. They're like, watch me saunter. I'll have a cappuccino and then get out. <laughs> Takes a long time to shut that door. In scripture, doors speak of opportunities. Opportunities. A new opportunity set before you. When Paul came to the city of Troas, he used that exact language. He said this. He said, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, look at it, a door was opened to me by the Lord. Jesus employed the same language to the church at Philadelphia when he wrote seven letters to seven churches, which were actual churches in cities, but they also speak of seven different types of churches. 
that exist throughout the world at any given time. And even within any church, there are individual aspects of which the church to Ephesus, the letter to Ephesus or Thyatira or Laodicea, the lukewarm church, or any of the churches that exist within the sampling of people in any given setting. There are some people struggling with certain things, and he spoke to that. Some people who were in certain sins, and he spoke to that. And there were some churches that were doing really well. And within any given church, there are believers who are doing well, like Philadelphia was. They're the only church that he had nothing negative to say about, not a single negative thing that he had to say about the church of Philadelphia. They were crushing life. They were doing really well. And so what did he do? Well, what happens in a video game when you beat a few levels? A door's open to a new level. And that's exactly what Jesus did for him. He said, look at this. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. If you read on, he also told them he was going to write his name on them. He was going to write his name on them. He's, 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 I'm going to give you a tattoo. He's like, I'm so proud of you. I'm going to write my name on you. It's, just, I just, I, it's interesting to me. I'm going to open a new door for you. So the doors in, in Scripture can, can be synonyms for opportunities. Because of that, they can be scary. Right. We're scared of new things. If, you know, you've always, you know, been very individual and you're all of a sudden married. That's a new season. There's a new door. Okay, what is it like to be married now? Every decision I make impacts another person. How do I deal with that? When you have kids, that's a, that's a brand new door that's open to you that can be scary. So this little guy is never going to go away for 18 years, right? What is that? That's something new. It's a new it, it can be scary to think about it. All of a sudden retirement or if you're laid off or all of a sudden find yourself divorced when that was always something to happen to other people. New doors can be scary. And I can relate because we recently put a new door in our house, brand new door in our home. Yeah, not for me, not for my, my wife or my kids, but for my dog, uh, Tabasco. And uh, I just got sick of having to let him out and in and out of my door. And so I thought, let's put his own door in. And then when he needs to go to the bathroom in the night or morning or whenever he feels like, really, he can just go through his own little doggy door, do his little thing in the dog run that's not connected to my yard anymore. And uh, you just have fun, you filthy little beast. Do whatever <laughs> you want to do. And so that's what we did. I mean, it was, we had to, it was expensive. We had to we'd rip out drywall, rip out insulation. You know, the energy efficiency of our house went down. Like there's a door going in. We got a cool little one that he, has, he wears a tag on his collar and it unlocks the door so no critters can get in that aren't him, right? So he's got his own little sensor that lets him in and out of his doors. British, I don't know. Maybe we could step it up. America, I'd have bought from here. Um, but, <laughs> but this door, it, was, it, was, it had the highest rating on Amazon. Leave me alone. Don't judge my journey. All right, so I put it in. And I just expected, because of how long it took to get the contractor arranged, figure we had to move electricity around. We had to actually put an adult door in, because I realized we do need to go out. It, the whole thing was a big, big process, and it came out great. So I was so excited the day it was done. I said, buddy, here's your door. Do your thing. He just looked at it, and then went and stood in front of the regular door and waited for me to go. I said, no, you don't, you're not getting it. This is a new door for you. Go out of the door. <laughs> Nothing. And so I thought, I know how to fix this. I'm going to put him through the door once. Once I put him through the door, he's going to get it. It'll all click in his head. He'll be like, oh, my God, I'm outside. This is a miracle. I can do it as often as I want to. But of course, as he'd approach it, the tag, the clicking, it all was very foreign to Tabasco. That's his name. And, and, and so here's what happened. When I went to, to shove him through, he, he grabbed the, the ledge on all four corners and refused to go through the door. I mean, he was hanging on to it, but looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, just go through the door. No, it wasn't happening. I thought of like 
taping his legs together and getting him through, but I thought that might give him post-traumatic stress. And, and it got so bad that even, if I would even mention the door, even take him in the room where the door was, he would just shake. He would just look at it and shake, like, don't make me go near that. So I found myself reasoning with him. I sat him down and I said, hey, little guy, I'm sorry. I did this all wrong. Um, I went on YouTube. I found that I should have been using food. I should have been taping the door up and lo gradually lowering it. I should have. I, sh I went about this all wrong. But just let me just tell you the truth. On the other side of this door is more freedom for you and not less. And then I realized I wasn't talking to my dog. God was talking to me. Because I get scared of new doors. I get scared when people leave my life. I get scared when there's all of a sudden something I've depended on that's not there anymore. And I realized that there's a, a fear to something new because we're afraid of what we don't know because we get used to how something is. And I just wanted to encourage somebody because God's opened a new door for you today and you're feeling afraid about it. And you're feeling, I don't want to go through it. I don't want, you want to hang on to what is known. You want to hang on to what you can control. You want to hang on to how it was last year or 10 years ago. But God is saying to you today, I've seen before you a new door of opportunity. And what I've opened, no one can shut. And what I shut, no one can open. So open that door. Walk through that door. Step out in faith. There's going to be grace for you waiting on the other side. You're going to look up and go, this isn't so bad. And that's exactly... Listen to me, that's exactly what happened to Tabasco. Because once I laid off and got a little bit more gentle, and my kids and I went on the other side and began to have a lot of fun and, and talk to him and say his name and call his name out, look what happened. Hey, come on back in, little buddy. OK, I can. I will. Good work, I did. Buddy. Let's hear it for the Wonder Dog. All right, so new doors, new opportunities. Uh, but every door takes you somewhere. No door just, just leaves you there, unless you're an elf. And then you're just, all right, fine, tough crowd. All right, so, so doors take you somewhere. It takes you out of the rain into the dry. It takes you out of the cold into the warm. It takes you out of the street into the, the home. It takes you out of uh, what can be dangerous into a place of safety. There are panic rooms you can go to. There's, there's, there's places that are, that are safe. And so a door takes you somewhere. And so it is with Jesus. Every door takes you somewhere. A door is a point of entry. A door is a passageway. And listen to me. There's such a thing as being in a place where you can see somewhere you want to be, but you don't see how to get there unless there's a door, unless there's a, a point of entry. We were in Florida recently, and we had the, the great honor of going to Parkland, and we were able to bring uh, copies of, of my book, Through the Eyes of a Lion, about finding power in your pain and give them to uh, a pastor who pastors in Parkland, lives in Parkland, and had three of the funerals of those kids who were shot in the most deadly school shooting in our history. He had those in his church, had the viewing for that heroic coach who laid down his life in front of students, uh, in, had the viewing in their church, and we went and spent time with them while they were still having candles on the stage and students from the school lighting them, and just, just incredible that God sent us to be there with them for a different speaking engagement while all that was happening. And I just love that there's no accidents. It was an open door of opportunity for us to speak love and to speak light into that situation. And, and, and while we were there, because we were staying in Miami, but we had to drive, of course, uh, north to get there to the Fort Lauderdale area where this, where this all took place. Uh, but to get there, we had to go through demonic levels of satanic traffic. And yes, I use those words intentionally, 
because that's exactly how it felt. I mean, what, this is like four o'clock on a Sunday. What in the world is going on? There's, there's no reason for this. It was like we would sit there, and it was just, it was, it was terrible. And I was frustrated, and we were going to be late. And we were, what made me so mad about it wasn't the traffic. It was that on the freeway, I could see a lane that I could technically be in, the HOV lane, the high-occupancy vehicle lane. Y'all, I don't go anywhere without high occupancy in my vehicles, right? I, I roll with a crew. Me and Lennox, we are, we are minorities in a sorority, right? So we are always, our suburban was heavy laden with females. And, and so I, there was plenty of us, we could be in that lane, but I couldn't get into it because they only had so many places where there was a place of entry. And that's how they keep the, the, that HOV lane moving so quickly. And so we must have gone on. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. We must have gone on for six, seven, maybe eight miles of bumper-to-bumper traffic. And, and meanwhile, you're like, why don't you just go over the double yellow? I would have done that in a heartbeat and paid the ticket gladly if I got pulled over. They had put up these stupid little barricade things every two feet. There was no physical way to get over. I contemplated going over. I'm like, what's the waiver that hurts charges these days? I, I was this close. Because I mean, it's just like, there's, it's empty. There's not one car in that lane for all these miles. I would have been fine. Do you know how good it felt when finally there was an opening and I was able to get into this thing that I'd been seeing for a long time? It felt so good. And guess what? That's the entire Old Testament in a nutshell. People hearing about, reading about, being told about how great it's going to be when the Messiah gets here, how awesome it's going to be to have the light of the world, how great it's going to be when Shiloh comes, when God's peace comes, how great it's going to be when someone comes down from heaven to get us from earth back to heaven, how wonderful it's going to be. But for all of the prophets who prophesied, for all that Moses had to say, Abraham had to say, David had to say, Isaiah had to say, Malachi had to say, Ezekiel had to say, for 400 silent years after the Old Testament ended, they just went along and bumper to bumper traffic of death and sin and loneliness and emptiness. And it seemed like heaven forgot about him. And it seemed like God wasn't there for him. And all of a sudden comes Jesus who says, I am the door. You want to get into the lane? Come through me. I'm your passageway to the other side. I'm your point of entry to everlasting life and abundance. Every promise of God in him is yes. And in him, amen. I wonder if you're thankful that God gave you Jesus Christ, his son, to get you to the other side. And we could spend a long time, but I want to just show you four things from these verses that are straight there in the text that are aspects to the treasure waiting for you when you follow God's command and say, open sesame, Jesus to the door, entering in through Jesus. Number one, protection. There's protection waiting for you on the other side when you're in Christ. Where do you see that in the text? Jesus said, if anyone enters in by me, he will be saved. Saved. Or as another translation puts it, he'll be safe and sound. There's safety. There's protection in Christ. And that's so necessary. Why? Because we're in grave danger. Alone, on our own. We, we, we can never get back to God. Why? Because of something called sin. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner, according to Scripture. All of us have done things we shouldn't have done. We've said things we shouldn't have said. The problem is the wages of sin is death. God didn't send Jesus to make bad people good. He sent Jesus so dead people could live. 
That's the gospel, that we, dead in our sins, could find brand new life. There's a protection in Christ of brand new life that we experience when we come to him. We find protection that, that, that saves us from our sin. Why? Because it coats us in the righteousness of Jesus that is not based on you. It gets placed on you the moment you believe it. You don't earn it by following the Ten Commandments. You don't earn it by not smoking or chewing or going with those who do. You earn it by believing in Jesus, and he puts the righteousness of God on you. And so when God looks at you, whether you had your quiet time and read your Bible that day or you didn't, he looks at you, and all he sees is Jesus Christ because you're protected from your sin by Jesus. That, of course, is the ultimate sense in which this is true. If we enter through him, we'll be saved. But there's, there's much more to it than that. You, you see, being a Christian is, is so much more than just waiting to die and not going to hell. I'm, I'm so sad for those who reduce their faith in Christ to little more than catastrophic insurance for the worst case scenario. There's so much to experience. And that protection extends to every aspect of attack, trial, and temptation you will ever go through on this earth. We go through so many different things that are hard in this life. And guess what? I got news for you. The more doors that you walk through, the more things the enemy will throw at you. The more you go through, the more that will come at you. As the old country preacher used to put it, new levels, new devils. I'm telling you, the reward for Jesus opening a door. Okay, I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to join an impact team. I'm going to step through the open door and begin the journey of generosity through giving. I'm going to step out and get into a small group or host a small group in my home. Or when the campus pastor says, hey, could you come to this worship experience and not that one because we need more people in this one and less in that one, or we need people to serve you, and, and stepping out in faith and doing it, stepping out in faith and sharing the love of Jesus with someone in your life or showing love to someone who's unlovable. The reward for that is not a pat on the back. It's often more arrows of attack. But the good news is the protection we have by entering in through Jesus does not just extend to salvation from sin. It's also a defense against any scheme of the darkness, against any form of attack, against any weapon that comes. You can, the Bible says, run to Jesus when you're attacked and be saved because the name of the Lord is a strong tower and those who run to him will be saved. Check it out. It works like this. You're dealing with something hard. You're bombarded by negative thoughts. You're being tempted. There's a great trial. Someone's slandering you. You're being criticized. There's a front page story in the newspaper 70 times about whatever. Okay, great. Name of Jesus, run to him. Guess what, somebody? When a door gets closed, it becomes a wall. And there's safety behind the wall. There's protection behind the wall. You, he has your back when you're standing behind that wall. There's protection. And I just want that so bad for you every day, as simple as, as bowing your knees. I heard Denzel Washington once say, put your slippers far under your bed. So the first thing you have to do in the morning is get down on your knees. And while you're down there, say a prayer. And while you're down there, thank God for something. And so, you know, last night I did, I stuck my slippers really far under my bed. And this morning I got down on my knees at my bed. The first thing I did today, I got on my knees. I thank God for his grace. I thank God for my family. I thank God for you. I thank God I would get to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ today. I thank God for air that fills my lungs. And you know what? When I rose up, I was a different version of myself. Why? Because I had put on the armor plating on my soul. I needed to withstand the rigors, difficulties, temptations, and trials of living in this world that can be difficult at times, that can feel alone at times. And we have protection in Christ. I would preach a lot longer about that, but I got I to gotta rush on because there's so much more. Number two, provision. We find provision for every need. Did not Jesus say in the text, when you enter through him, you will find pasture? 
Or as the NIRV puts it, you'll just find plenty of food. I love that. When we come to Jesus, we find what we need. How does that work? Because it's amazing. He is still the third installment of our series while he's the first. We're on week three. He's still on week one. You mean, you, you mean to tell me if someone's watching the podcast on week one, they still are finding out that those, those things are still true? Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, we're focused this week on he's the door, he's the door, he's the door. But we get through the door and there's a table set with food and we're like, wait, who did this? And he goes, I'm still the bread. You're like, I thought you were the door. And he's like, yep, still the door. And you're like, how do I see all this? Because he goes, I'm still the light. And you're like, I thought you were, he goes, I am. But I thought you were, he goes, I am. I thought you were, I am. I thought you were, we, th- we thought this was true about God. He goes, that's still true. That's still true because I am who I am. And so we find provision. He is what we need in the moment we need it. When we don't need something from God, remember, more than we just need God. Never mistake the blessings of God with the source of the blessings, with the God who gives and at times takes away. And so he is our provision. And when we have him, we have everything we need. And then whether it's a time of abundance or a time of of, of lack that he allows us to go through to point us to a greater source of abundance, whether it's a time of of, of, of greatness and that, that we're being used so that we can bless other people, or it's a time of difficulty, a time of training, a time of refining, like in the stock market, a period of, of consolidation, right? It, it can't all be this. There's, there's, time, there's, there's rhythms, there's ups and downs, and we trust him for the whole ride, just knowing he's got it. He's got it. He is our provision. He is our life and the length of our days. I'm telling you, my God is able to make all grace abound towards you. He's your provision. So don't let his be the last call you make when you need something. Let it be the first. Look to him for your daily bread. Look to him for your rest. Look to him. Ask him. Let let him hear the quiet secrets of your heart. God, I dream of doing this one day. God, you know, I'll leave it with you. I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to seek you more than the dreams in my heart. Because I just, I just have a, I've, I've seen it happen so many times where we, we follow God and instead of chasing our dreams directly. And as we follow him, we have a better version of ourselves to inherit the dreams that he actually wanted us to have all along. So there's a provision in Jesus. There's a third thing, part of this treasure of entering Christ, and it's the privilege, the privilege of entering through the door. What is the privilege? Well, look at it in the text with me. He says, those who enter through him will be saved and get past through. Yep. But he, notice what he says. They will go, say it out loud, in and out. It's better than Shake Shack. In and out. Take that, East Coast. In and out. So much better than five guys. In and out. The valet slip at the hotel will describe your ability to go in and out as a privilege. You have in and out privileges, meaning you can get your car out of the valet as many times as you need to. And Jesus is saying, coming to him, and specifically in this instance, being a part of the church is something that we get to go in and out of, in and out of. We're not coming in and out of salvation, obviously, but there's an aspect to being a part of the group of people following Jesus that is meant to be in and out. What do you mean? A while back, I uh, took my family to Disneyland. And when we were leaving the park, they had us exit 
under a sign that said exit hand stamp. And there was one small exit that just said exit, but the rest of them said exit hand stamp. And the people will explain to you that if you intend to return to the park, meaning you give the kids a nap or you go get some reasonably priced food outside of the park uh, and return, uh, you're going to need not only your ticket, that's not enough, you're also going to need some evidence that you had been there. We need to write our name. We need to write this phrase. We need to write some version of open sesame on your hand. And they stamp you and you don't see anything. And you're like, what in the world is happening? And it's because they stamped you with something fluorescent that will need something UV, something invisible, like a UV light going in to cause the fluorescent to become visible and shine out. And so, well, I haven't been to Disneyland today, so you're not going to see anything on the hand. But here's, here's the crazy thing. Later on, you give them the ticket, try and come back in. You can't go through the gate until they shine that on your hand. Now, it makes me remember what Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia about him writing his name on them. It makes me think about how we're meant to come into the church. We're meant to be here on the weekend. We're meant to come in and go, yeah, the bread's so good, and the light's so good, and the door's so awesome, and yay, yay for what I learned from God, and yay, that new song, King of Glory. Oh, I love how that felt. But we're never meant to just stay here. Why? Because there's a whole world out there that needs to know him. We don't have to worry about getting back in. Because when we come back in, he's going to shine his light in Magnificent Seven. His name, I Am, is written on our hand. We're going to be able to come back in. Don't you worry about it. You're welcome back here next weekend. But don't you dare stay here all week. Because there's people in your city. There's people in your family. There's people in your neighborhood. There's people at your job. There's people who need Jesus. We can't stay here where the eating's good. We got to come and glow so we can go. We got to come and gather so we can scatter. We had better be around some people. We had better be talking to some people. We had better be bringing some people. The church at its best remembers it's not all about us. I went to a game at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. And I had two tickets, one for me, one for a friend. I got there early, so I went in. I didn't want to miss the flame shooting out of the basketball hoops, because this is America, and that's how we do. And so I'm in there. I'm watching the game. And he texts me, I'm here. And I go to leave to give to him. But I thank God, at the last second, noticed a sign that said, no in and out privileges. So now I'm stuck, because I got his ticket. But I can't get out there to give it to him. Well, I can. But then only he'll get to go back in, and I won't. So I had to be creative and text him and say, I'll meet you at the side of the metal detectors, and sort of like, tell the lady, don't worry, and I hand him the thing on the sly. Listen, a lack of in and out privileges made it hard to get my ticket to my friend who needed to be in here. And that's why your good savior, Jesus, made it clear. You got in and out privileges, so you better be out there. Don't be acting like the whole world's already saved. Don't be acting like everybody in your life already knows about Jesus. Don't be acting like everybody who follows you on Instagram already knows that you follow Christ. You best be out there being salt and being light, because we're meant to reach this lost world. We got in and out privileges. And it's a privilege to know about heaven. It's a privilege to know that, that we have hope for our souls like an anchor. So don't be selfish with the light. Don't be selfish with the bread. We have just fought for this as a church. We just decided we're not going to be a church that just comes in for a potluck and let's just, just be for us. We're going to be a church that's going to fight to take the gospel to new cities and new places and new mediums, and new avenues. And when we've explored those, we're going to find some more. And it's going to be expensive, and it's going to be difficult, and we know not everybody's going to like it, and not everyone's going to be cool with it for the journey, and we're all right with that. Because if a Christian leaves our church because they don't like our bent on lost people, we'll see them in heaven. I, I, 
I don't have the need for every Christian to like me. I'm more interested in what lost people are doing, and that's who I have my mind on as I lead this church, as my wife and I lead this church. That's our mentality. The person who hates Jesus, doesn't know Jesus, is far from God. That's what we're thinking about. And that's how Jesus was. You, you know Jesus, right? Luke 19. Why did he come? Look at it. To seek and to save the lost. Dr. Billy Graham used to say, he didn't come for the chosen few. He came for the rejected many. He came for those who wouldn't feel comfortable in church service. He came for those who would say, oh, the building will fall down on me. Yeah, that's why we don't meet in cathedrals, because no one's going to say a movie theater will fall down on me. A nightclub would fall down on me. We started this church in a bar. No one was worried about the bar falling down on them. You see what I'm saying? And that's why we're trying to get the gospel to people, because that's how Jesus ruled. All right, there's a, there's a fourth, and we're going to wrap it up here. There's a fourth reason why it's so amazing to enter through the door, and it's this. We find pleasures evermore. Oh, that's tasty. It rhymed. Pleasures evermore on the other side of the door. What do I mean? I mean, it's awesome to know Jesus during life. It is, and I hope you understand it's not just about after dying. So much for this life. In fact, there's true life, the only kind of real life, according to Jesus. If you look at it again, he said the thief only comes to, look at this, how, look how jacked up the thief is. It's to steal from you and then kill you. And he's not even done with you when you're dead. <laughs> he's going to try and destroy you. That's when the real fun begins. Like, what is this guy's problem? Yeah, he's not your, your friend. But Jesus said, I've come that they may have life. Pause there. The Greek word is zoe, not bios. Bios is biological life. Bios is your, your physical body. That's important. Your physical body is important. But biological life isn't the only kind of life. Because you can have money but not peace. You can have a bed but not rest. You can have health but not wellness. I've come that you may have the Greek word zoe. It's everlasting life. It's, it's an invisible kind of life. It's an unstoppable kind of life. It's a life that can't be quantified. It's a life that can't just be calculated in dollars and cents and followers on Twitter. It's, 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 a, it's a bigger than that kind of life. I've come that you may have real life, but that's not even all, and that you would have it more abundantly. That's awesome. Life and then oh, more abundant life. Life and then turbocharged life. Life and then Red Bull-infused life. The best kind of life there is to have Zoe life, but then life overflowing, life abundantly. Someone said you could actually translate when he says life and life to the full. One translation says as this way, life and life super abundantly. Life just, just brimming over. Because that's just how Jesus is. He won't just give you peace. He'll give you peace that surpasses understanding. He won't just give you joy. He gives joy unspeakable and full of glory. He doesn't just forgive your sins. He abundantly pardons. And he won't just pour out a little bit of his grace on your life. He wants your cup to run over. And he isn't just able to bless you as you step through new doors. Our God, look at this. He is able and wants to do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us his spirit deeply and gently within us. And that's all in this life. But what about when we do come to die? What about when our last breath takes place on this earth? Well, that too, for those of us who have come to Jesus, involves a door. John's gospel, or John wrote the book of Revelation, and in it, God gave him just a moment to look at heaven. Look how he described heaven. Heaven is on the other side of an open door. I love it that it's not a closed door. 
It's an open door. There's an open door policy in heaven. Open door policy. But we, we think about that wrong because we think open door is going to look like this. Because we are used to doors opening for us by themselves. Right? Nod up and down if you, mean, if you understand yes, side to side, no. We commonly, we're the only people in human history who have been so entitled that we just walk up to a door and it just opens for us. And we act like something's gone wrong with the world when it malfunctions. Oh, oh, fine, right? We're so lazy. Like, you never notice the attitude you get when, when an escalator's not working? You're like, fine, I'll use the stairs. This is so stupid. Isn't there an elevator? What is this? What am I, a savage, right? What? I was walking on a moving sidewalk the other day, and there was three of them, and the fourth one was out. And I was like, okay, fine, just as once. You know, but next time I come back, you better be going. So we think open door, well, it's going to be open. Well, heaven's got an open door policy, but it's not going to open for, for, for itself. That's, that's our job, church. That's our job, to keep heaven's door open. That's why David, who was so smart and such a humble servant of God, he said it this way. Look at it, Psalm 84. He said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Heaven's got an open door policy, but it's not going to open itself. It's our job to open the door for the people in our lives. It's our job to usher them through. I, I, I hope you understand what an honor and a privilege it is to open the door for people, to escort them to the door. We got to be ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. We can't let Ritz Carlton have all the fun. We can't let Chick-fil-A have all the fun. We got to escort people to the door. We got to hold open the door. We got we to gotta let them in the door. It's got an open door to everybody in the world, but God loves the world so much that he sent you and me into the world to do what Jesus did, to point the way to the door, to point the way to the life. And when our last breath takes place here, the angels will bring us through that open door and we'll take our first breath there. And what will we experience one minute after we die? David again tells us, in God's presence on the other side of that open door. Look at it. Fullness of joy and pleasures evermore is waiting for you on the other side of heaven's door. But here's my question to you. Have you opened the door of your heart? My family and I sometimes will stay in rooms in hotels that will have two doors connecting two rooms. There's deadbolts on both sides. And my wife and I will open our side of the door and then insist vigorously on an escalating capacity that our kids open up their side of the door. Usually when one of them is crying, screaming, biting, dying, right? It's just like panic, right? It's like, okay, open that door, please. And, and so we're knocking, knocking, knocking. Our door's open. We're waiting for their door to open. That's the gospel. Jesus actually said in Revelation 3.20, he said this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. The question is, now that you know heaven's side of the door is open to you, that's why we're here. That's what Jesus is. Have you opened the door of your heart to him? If you haven't, you can do it right now. It's the crescendo that this whole worship experience has moved towards, where you have the chance, the space, the grace, the spirit working in your heart where you can open the door of your heart to God's Son who died for you on the cross, paying for your sins, and rose from the dead. And if you invite him into your heart, listen to me, he will save you right now, right here. Would you pray with me?
Father, we're thankful for Jesus who said, I'm the door, because it makes so much sense. It's such a simple message. And we pray now that many would open that door for the first time and allow him in their hearts experience your grace. As we're all praying now in this moment, many of you are feeling maybe things you haven't felt before. You sense the Spirit of God working in your life. Let me tell you, don't take that for granted. Don't think, oh, I'll, I'll get right with God later, next year, Easter, two weeks from now, tomorrow. You might not feel like you feel right now. The Bible says you can't just come to him as you want. You have to come as he knocks, as he draws. If you're here in this moment, that's that's, a, that's an incredible grace that you sense God, that you sense your guilt, you sense fear. You, you, you can't be helped with a need you, you don't know about. So if he's telling you there's a need, it's only so he can fix it. As we're all praying, if you're ready to begin this faith journey following Jesus, I'm gonna pray a simple prayer, one phrase at a time. And like wedding vows, where you enter into a relationship by repeating vows, I'm going to ask that you take these words, make them your own, and pray them to heaven like an arrow shot from a bow. And they will be your vows to Jesus as you enter into a relationship with him. And he becomes your Savior and Lord. And you find protection and provision, privilege, and all of that, pleasures evermore, by faith through grace. Pray this prayer right now with me. And the church is going to pray along, showing you we're in this with you. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner can't fix myself, but I believe you can. I want to make you my Lord, my Savior. Help me follow you. Come into my heart. Make me new. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. What an incredible message. Thank you so much for joining us in this teaching from Fresh Life Church. If during this message you felt led to make the decision to follow Christ, we'd love to send you a 21-day devotional that goes through the book of John that Pastor Levi wrote. And you can also register your decision on our website, freshlife.church. Just click the Know God tab, and uh, we'd love to get connected with you. If you've been impacted at all through what God is doing here at Fresh Life Church, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Um, all you gotta do is click the Share Your Story tab at the top of our website, or you can email us at story at freshlife.church and share how God is using this work to impact your life. And finally, if you'd like to partner with us financially um, and support the things that God is doing in and through this house, you can text the word FRESH to 45777. You can click the Give button at freshlife.church, or you can give via the Fresh Life app. Thank you so much for watching.